List. My name is Peter Agostin, the host and producer of the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This is episode 51. So check it out. That joint. At the beginning of the show. You know what that means. Uh, we got Abstract Rude on the show today. Yes. So uh, if anyone tuned into the last episode, episode 50, which is a huge monumental benchmark for the House List podcast... Uh, with this one from people on the stairs recorded during my uh, trip in early July to Los Angeles to the West Coast in general where I did a lot of the episodes that you've been hearing this month so I decided because I had a long conversation with Thess I also had a long conversation with my guests on today's show Abstract Rude ATU Abstract Tribe Unique yes Ab Rude um, so I decided I'm going to do the Part two to Thess a little bit later on. So I, I'm going to sustain that a little bit because I gave you a great two hour conversation with my man from People Under the Stairs. And I really wanted to share this conversation I had with Ab Rude as well. Um, I've been a huge fan of his for a long time. We've worked together a few different times over the years. And um, we met in LA, like I said, and had a long combo. And the first half is really focused on his first three projects uh, kind of recorded mid 90s and, and coming out mid to later 90s. So underground fossils, mood pieces and leading in to South Central Think Tank. So um, I wanted to share this part one because this will be a part two as well. But instead of doing back to backs, I'm going to kind of mix it up a little bit. So later on in the season of the House List podcast, I'll drop both the part two of Thess one and a part two of my uh, chat with Abstract Rude. So hopefully that's all right with y'all. Just want to mix it up a little bit. And, um, you know, just, hey, there's no real rules here. Uh, this is my thing. I do it. I do it for the love. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of work. I will say that. And every episode is edited and engineered by CJ Stewart and uh, every single one. So if you go back, and listen to any number of the episodes. It's always been me and CJ. He's in California. I'm in New York City. 
that's where I produce this. And um, I book all the artists as well, all the guests rather. So if this is your very first time listening, of course, you can subscribe on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts, rather, SoundCloud. And SoundCloud is a great way to check it out, obviously, especially if you got a desktop computer or that's just how you, or you use the app. Um, but it's also the best way to kind of repost and share these conversations. So it's something I always try to encourage people when they're listening to the podcast. Take a couple seconds. If, especially if you're a fan of Abstract Rude, of Tribe Unique, of the Good Life Project Blowed, and that whole uh, world of artists of the LA Underground, and uh, go back. You can even hear my conversation with Riddler, uh, of Satch from the Nonce. These are all just in the last couple of weeks. And they're all of that world um, of some amazing artists in Los Angeles affiliated with the Project Blowed. So Abstract Rude, of course, um, has a really great and amazing story that sort of twists and turns. And, you know, he's released many projects, uh, even just in the last few years, too. Uh, but his origin story as uh, Tribe Unique and how that came about and his time with uh, working or sort of within the structure of of Grand Royal Records, you know, it's all like a big part of his story and especially these like incredible releases in Underground Fossils, Mood Pieces, and then South Central Think Tank. So I'm not going to go long here too because this is a long conversation and on episode 50 I had a long intro too. So you can go back to that and that's where you can really hear me uh, go off the rails. But nevertheless, I appreciate you guys listening. Please subscribe. Please share this as you will. Um, I'm at, uh, on Twitter, too. If you can find out updates for the shows at House List Pod. So uh, hit me up there and, and let's just try to spread the word. Just the same way that people will dub the cassette version of Underground Fossils or, or Mood Pieces. And I remember that's how I got both of those uh, when they came out. Because when I was living in Virginia, I grew up in Virginia, you couldn't just walk into a record store and buy that um not not for a while at least and there was a network of people trading dubs on cassette and and by you know all accounts abstract tribe unique was a big uh part of that world of people being like this is amazing music produced by fat jack uh and uh i want to share this so so it it you know reverberated well outside of Los Angeles and Southern California and even the West Coast. So a lot of kids that lived in the Midwest or the East Coast or out in Europe and Japan, all throughout Canada and so forth, uh, Australia, like, you know, would get these cassettes. And, uh, you know, that's how I first discovered it. And then, of course, you know, uh, when there was more commercial material coming out, like all balls don't bounce ac alone's uh, major label debut uh you know then you start really kind of getting a picture and um you know things like rap pages and b plus and the project blow compilation so on and on and on and on uh well-documented stuff here on the podcast too so anyway this is an awesome conversation and i don't i, I don't you know that word i don't use that word uh loosely so anyway it's great and for fans of Abrude, you're in for a treat. He's a great storyteller and has been in and out of every um, 
facet of the music industry. It's just just beyond the cultural impact of Project Load. I mean, he is uh, a warrior within that like uh, of that infrastructure, and has kind of like really been around the block. You know, as far as major labels, independent labels, self-release stuff. So he's got a, a lot of context and a lot of perspective when it comes to uh, the business too. Outside of being like a really creative uh, and an innovator, really writer and and um songwriter and, per- and performer and of course torn is an incredible song which opened the show and then i'm gonna close with something from that era too so anyway enjoy my candid rare long-form conversation with none other than abstract root here on the house list check it out y'all and i'm really intrigued about trying to figure out like uh you know your your entry point into you know, recording and releasing music, mm-hmm. um, and you know what what leads into that, and in that particular um, period of time is like a very prolific period for you too. I mean, you've consistently been doing records and touring since then, and the but the beginning has a very seems like a very uh, storied and unique um, moment in both L- the history of LA music one, right. but and the, of course the you know, the much, uh, the beloved, like LA underground sort of story in itself, but listening to like, you know, before I, I, uh, came here, you know, listening to underground fossils, it's, it's this whole, there's like a lot more than, it's not just songs, you know, it's like a real tapestry of, of, uh, of, uh, a narrative of that, what seems to be like of that, that period of time in LA. I mean, it's a very LA, it's an LA story for sure. Um, and yeah, I want to, I'd love to figure that out, but also just understand like where you were coming from before that too, because you were doing that. You were already, you were just, you're probably still a teen or in high school, right? I was definitely a teenager. And I mean, when I really think back, you start saying <clears throat> origin, the word origin, right? We actually had, uh, nickname for our lab, which was called Point of Origin. Right, right, right. Because it all started in the lab, right? You know, okay. in the concept of labbing, mm-hmm. which is also why Farside called their second album Lab Cabin California. Right. But that wasn't the first time they labbed, because they had a lab called Farside Manor. Yeah. That yes. we all used to hang out at, you know, like. After hours, after the good life, after a unity, and people would go over there. And I'm sure they had labs, you know, even before that, even before they had formed over there. But so it all always started in the lab. Everything that we did came from first us genuinely, you know, liking one another, what, you know, what we had to bring to the table. It it grew into love, you know, over time. But it started out with this, you liking somebody's style, um, in terms of Fat Jack, the producer that I that I was first pri- privileged enough to finally meet when I was 15, 16. Um, me liking his beats, him liking the style of beats that me and my crew ATU said that we wanted. Okay. And from then on, there was countless, countless hours and numbers of sessions where we would just hang out, you know, and he would just play beats. 
and Tribe Unique would literally be dancing in the yard or in the room and we would just be talking about concepts. We would just be what you call laughing. Feel me? So all all great concoctions and all great inventions start in some inventor's lab. And it's no different with making music when it really becomes classic, right? Um, there's this lab quality that it had to all of the musicians and artists and different, even even the graphic artists that put down art on it, even the engineers mixing it at every level of it. Because back then you had to do your own physical packaging. So right. the people you talk to at the stores and they'd advise you on which tapes to buy. It, it it was all very like you were concocting this formula, you know, in, in you guys' own lab before you took it to the world. And I think that level made all of the early... It, it makes all the early stuff that any artist does, especially that we did, made it so special. And um, sometimes it's, it's not just what you do, because I often think... You know, were our styles or lyrics just really just that great? And one like, yeah, well, I feel like they were. But sometimes it's also where you do it. Of course, yeah, the environment plays a lot into it. Yeah. So like you say, being from L.A. and us being forced to, in a post-KDAY world, which was the station, 1580 K-Day, that was disbanded. From what I understand, people that, that spearheaded that, that movement to, to uh, take it off the air or t t turn it away from an urban station playing all the dirty rap where people like Stevie Wonder and a group he was, he was spearheading. Wow, yeah. Believe it or not. So the story of, about that early, early hip-hop isn't that, oh, the powers that be took it away. No, our parents basically were like, they saw that it was a lot of bad messages seeming mm -hmm. like it was coming out. And, and um, in a post-KDAY city where, where the urban station is no more that we all used to look to for the culture, to think that you could go out there and um, find your way and, you know, find a place like The Good Life on Crenshaw where right. we know all, you know, movies like Boys in the Hood made and and menace society made that street popular and what goes down on that street with all the low riders which to this day they still have versions of that happening right out there on the shawl mm -hmm. and to think that somehow some kids who weren't really representing all of that could do what we did is something that i think makes it equally nostalgic special you know impactful and makes it mean a lot for the generation that came to be raised off of our music right so that's that's just you know i really reflect you know on the origins of what you're asking me i feel like what makes it so special is the time we spent together creating and inventing what we brought to the table and i think people can really feel that they can feel that where was the uh, point of origin exactly our point of origin was in Inglewood. Okay. It was on Stepney Street. I mean, from what I from what I understand, his mother in law still owns the house. Fat Jack? Yeah. So I don't I won't give out the exact address. Yeah, but no, no, but two fifteen the two fifteen lab is actually an interlude on um our mood pieces record. Right. So 
the 215, you know, was the address. And it's in, it was in Inglewood. And, you know, we would have parties over there. And it got to the point where we endeared ourselves to the whole scene. And people knew about 215. Um, on the back of the Project Blow disc, right? One of you know one of those pictures. Some of the pictures of Fat Jack and some of us were we're in there. Mm-hmm. We're we're in that lab. And um, there were other labs too, like AC's apartment that he had in in the jungles was a lab for a lot of the homies. Micah used to have a apartment in Lamert Park as well that had been a lab. And Volume 10's house, at the time, he moved, him and Jay Smoove moved around the corner from us, from where Tribe Unique stayed on 59th and Western. He They moved to 60th or first, 61st and Harvard. Okay. So then that became sort of like an extended lab for Volume 10 and Jay Smoove and, you know, Darkleaf fam. And, and then there was always the CV Shack. Yeah, as well, yeah. Because when I talked to Red, he even he mentioned that that uh, Jay Smooth was operating out of there for a period of time. As yes, well. so yes. CV Shack was also one of these CV points Shack. on the map, right? Yes. So very quickly, you know, once you be- we became friends at the Good Life with all of the artists that were up there, we um, that was the next step where you like go to their lab, and right, that was right. a sacred, privileged thing, right? to come to their lab and for them to be able to come to ours, you know? And um, the synergy that that created amongst all of us, you could feel it by the time we hit the mic and by the time we we got on the stage. Right, so it, it would pretty much or incubate in, the in these places and then come to fruition either yes. at The Good Life and then Project Bloat and then on record as well simultaneously, right? Like, Which any old school producer will tell you that's the travesty of how a lot of music is done today, how it's like done through the mail and things right. like that. You know, some, like I heard CeeLo in, uh, in, in Danger Mouse did Gorillas or whatever, or that Gorillas was, was kind of done like that or whatever they yeah, did. Yeah, just an exchange of tracks through email, basically. Right. Yeah. But, but it's rare that you get something so so beautiful and seems so seamless. Like, right. you would have thought they would be in a room vibing the whole time. So right. you can get something classic that way. But yeah, we, we came from the days where you really labbed it up. And just for me personally, I could take it back a little further than that. You know, my origins as that would, you know, blossomed me into a performer definitely started from my mom nurturing my memory okay you know nurturing my memory with memory cards i can remember vocabulary words and bible verses bible verses for vacation bible school and church and things like that when i was only three our family did a a musical at our church because they would pick a certain family from the church and then every twice a year they well that family would put on a musical it was basically like you're hosting a, a, a church night right. and all of your families, the choir or whatever. So I'm right. recorded way back then in 1978 doing the Lord's Prayer at only three years old. Wow. So, I mean, you got to credit that to my mom. Obviously, she nurtured my young mind to be able to memorize very good. And I was always able to memorize very good. So that transferred into speeches you know, public speaking things. So I, I already got this brain for memorizing raps. Right, That's right. The, and other people, so I memorize all the raps that I'd hear on the radio. 
So it started with that, and that's why you should nurture your kids and the young people around you use memory. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it's an important tool, especially in this smartphone world. Well, yeah, where, memories are very compromised. Where we don't use memory as much anymore. Right. Where did you go? Where'd you go to high school? I went to high school. Well, I, I, okay, I'll, I'll progress from there to really elementary. Okay. Because I was going to to private schools like Christian schools. Uh-huh. You know, I went to Normandy. Uh, school, which was Church of God in Christ, close enough. You know, we were Baptists where we actually played music in church. Right. They didn't, but it was still a good school. So there, I wrote a "Say No to Drug" rap, and uh, a kid came and performed for us. It did a "Say No to Drug" rap. Used one of my vocabulary words at the end of his rap. Me having a good memory, knew that it was one of our past words. Okay. You that remember the word? Now? Me. It was clever. Nice. Used the word clever. Uh-huh. And obviously, because like clever, you got to get that V E R, right? You got to understand that yeah. ver. Yeah. So it's the fourth grade, you know, you're, you're stepping it up, you know, with a word like clever. It sounds simple, sure. but, but back you, then, back then you got to get it. So I was like, wow, how can he do that? And I went right home and wrote me a rap that I bit his line at the end. I do, you know, I said it a little different, but I was like, you can get it together. All you got to do is use your mind and be clever. And people, I, I, I waited a whole year to like fifth grade to get a chance at like a Tuesday night parent meeting to break it out. I took second and then like I started like rapping on my Christmas and Easter speeches in church because I found that intriguing. They'd give me the speech and I'd like say it in a rap way. So mm-hmm. then finally like in, I, then I got plucked out of that hood Christian school into these smarter schools it was like it was like an episcopalian church but it's pilgrim school right on six and commonwealth still exists to this day so usually only rich kids like bus driver get to go to a school like that Uh who by the way he was in he he was there he was like only in fourth or fifth grade when i first got there oh Um, wow so you were schoolmates for a while too yeah for a little bit um but i got there because so if you get all a's if you're gifted in the hood schools they come some some pilgrims, some soldiers, <laughs> some sojourners. They come and find you from the rich white areas. They come and get me and Baron Davis, and they put him in Harvard Westlake. I remember I was the, I went to Pilgrim when Harvard and Westlake were still two separate schools. Harvard was all boys and Westlake was girls. It cha- it changed into Harvard Westlake over time, but yeah, uh, La Jolla was another one. You know, schools like that, right? They, they got a program. They got a network of them. Right. Right. So I got to go there. Now you're taking classes like drama. Right. Now you're reading college love preparatory books. Uh-huh. You're like, oh, Lord of the Flies. And you, you know what I mean? It, this was this was definitely higher education. And the seventh grade music teacher split us up into groups of four. And she's like, y'all write a song. I don't care what it is. And I like... Me and my homies used to like to clown around, so I was like, I got this. We got this. <laughs> okay. So I broke that rap out, split it up, everybody in the four bars. We did it, and she was hella intrigued. Because obviously, she's like, wow. Because Deron was like, you might have the urge to be in the gang. The next thing you know, you're doing cocaine. Every day you wake up, you put your life on the line. That's just like saying life ain't worth a dime. I mean, now when <laughs> I think back, a young person hearing, I'm just trying to be dope. 
Right. But I, I was. It was that whole Nancy Reagan saying no to drugs. You feel me? Yeah, yeah. I'm just, but I'm, so I'm spitting just the kind of stuff that a young person is thinking about at that age. All the old people always telling you, "Oh, get in the gangs." Right. And you're like, "Yeah, I kind of don't want to." Right. But her, she's like, "This is conscious rap." Yeah. <laughs> she's like, "I'm gonna birth conscious rap." <laughs> so she got permission from my mom to record me on what was the little, uh, you know. Oh, a little tape deck, rectangular, rectangular yeah, tape, tape deck, yeah. right? Yep. And and she recorded me. I, I did it, and she got it on KJLH. And me and my mom were driving one day, listening to the radio in her car, and we heard me. Wow. We heard me. We heard evidence that it came on only one time. That I think another time we heard the end of it. Wow! So, so we were like, a couple times. yeah, they played it a couple times. So this is only seventh grade, and she was like, "Oh, you sound nice." And I remember my grandmother told me. That she liked, she liked my voice, you know. So I had some good family like validation. My sister, you know, I used to like sing some of the solos in the choir. The older I got, the more I got control of my voice. Right. So there's real encouragement. Real encouragement. Choir rehearsals and things like that. So by the and really that was kind of like those were like my own. That was like my, I wrote one other rap, and that was like my only raps that that I had until like tenth grade. Where I briefly had to move to San Diego because after ninth grade, moms couldn't afford. Like they gave her a got me a scholar. It was three thousand a year tuition to go to that school. Oh wow! So fifteen hundred a semester. They would pay for half of it. Mm-hmm. That was the we helping the hood deal, mm-hmm. right? So I think our rent was like four twenty five. My mom said. Wow. <laughs> so I was wow. like, man, you better be smart. I hope you. And then we tried to get me on the waiting list for a magnet schools like at like laces, but uh, it was all, I had been on there since fourth grade. Here I am, tenth grade. It took my sister; she had been on since fourth too. She's a few years older than me, but she didn't get in until tenth. So we figured maybe I'd get in in tenth. I didn't. My mom wasn't gonna just throw me to the wolves. So shout again to Barbara Pointer. I had a really good mom, even though she was a single mom. She held it down. So she sent me to her twin sister in San Diego, who was in Poway Unified. So my this cousin right here, he was off in Desert Storm. So I I, I took his room, and my uncle didn't miss a beat because he was like missing a son anyway. Right. He's a big three hundred pound motherfucker. You ain't gonna not mind. Right, right. And I was, I was like, by then I was trying to be bad. I was tag. I was getting off the the path a little bit. Right. I was. So she's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, you ain't finna go to Washington or Dorsey or Crench. Hell no, I'm a losing. And she was right. So when I went down there, I encountered my homeboy I Rock and a couple other dudes at my auntie's church that was rapping, and they had raps for days. That's when I knew, okay, I gotta start writing. I gotta start right. writing. So I came back after that year. After that 90, 91 year, I came back home. I did everything right. You feel me? Because it was boring as hell up there. The suburbs, the same. It wasn't right. from an L.A. kid. I was like, oh, my God. And I knew in that one year, Tribe Unique, my homies, Ebony Prince and Zulu Butterfly, and then Irie Lion King, we had a fourth member ever flowing now, but then he, he dropped off to do R&B music, which was his true talent. Okay. But anyway, uh, they were getting so tight because I visited them around Christmas and was like, I'm like, I'm losing. I'm, I'm getting behind. And our developed, they dreads was already growing. They was, no mind you, they already out of school. They older than me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but still, so as soon as I got back, I got right back with them. And, but it was apparent to me I wasn't going to be able to keep up with them dancing. 
Right. Because in that one year, they had just got too far. And I, it was too much to catch up. And I liked rapping too much. And Zulu told me, he's like, you should rap. And they were rapping for this dude named, um, they were dancing for this dude named Big Al, who was a good life fixture. And that was how we slowly got into the good life. So, yes, I, I when I, I, I got back from from San Diego and I attended LACES, Los Angeles Center for Enriched Studies, which is the same school that Cut Chemist graduated from, okay. Hymno, Hymno from Dark Leaf. Yep. Um, and then, like, R- Raina King, who's the, the sister of Regina King, went there. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, in my graduating class was Sick Jackin. So there you go. Oh, wow. wow. For as far as laces. Uh, and my boy, Shames Worthy, who was a good life fixture known as Rafi back in the day, he also he also went there. So there's like highly creative people around you, even at this pretty young age. Oh, yeah. So, I'd oh. love to talk about the, the Tribe Uniques, the, the dancing, because it's such a unique aspect of um, that you don't really see in in many other groups of that time you know mm-hmm. that and the way it sort of counters the music that you guys were doing that you were doing and uh but there's a story there too there's a history to that too because it was a it was a thing in LA that like the, the style and the kind of approach and where it took place and stuff like do you have a sense of the of their those guys quickly of those guys history yeah I'll tell you um Real b-boying had kind of went out of style a little bit, it seemed. Um, or if you were doing that, you were kind of a New York lover right. if you were over here. So I would say circa, you know, the late 80s into 89, 90, the housing movement had got big. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of born out of the Rude Boy Mod movement. With the right. with the trench coats and the and the fedora hats and wearing a bunch of buttons on you and right. all of that, right? And skanking and stuff. And right? skanking. Right. Out of that came cats wearing creeper shoes, so like black sort of preppy shoes with the silver tip, you know, right. at the end. Um, cats getting and, and and wearing silk shirts and cross cords. And it was like this, this, uh, there were groups like the fellas, YNV, mm-hmm. uh, right. that, that, that had kind of predated what then turned into the full on house dancer movement that Tribe Unique represented as the younger cousins of the Soul Brothers who were with Def Jeff. Uh-huh. So right. Craig right. E, V Love, and Legend. And actually, Irie from Tribe Unique is Craig E's little first cousin. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that made Tribe Unique feel like we kind of had a birthright to sort of, for their styles. And we were definitely inspired by them. You also had the Scheme Team. Okay. Kamani, Charlie B, Peace Be Upon Them. Those guys who danced for Divine Styler. Oh, yes. Word Power. Yes, Scheme Team. Okay, yeah. So the Scheme Team and the Soul Brothers were like the head of this new Hauser dreaded kind of dancer movement. Right. Cats that were taking our style of dress from the Daylight and the Tribe videos right, right. and everything that those guys brought back 
from when they'd be on tour with Def Jeff and Divine Styles. Yes, okay, cool. They'd go experience all the culture, and then they brought it back to L.A. And we're just like, oh, they're wearing this now. One suspender off and right. dyeing our, our jeans, you know, bleaching our jeans and writing on them. And, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the Paisley shirts with mm-hmm. the collars and the, you know, and going. And then we took it. So we're Tribe Unique. There was a club named Joshua's that was famous for all these crews like the Lost Tribe, the Rainbow Tribe, the Hip Hop Hippies. Okay, Tribe Unique was one of them. And these are all like these are dancers. Yes, Soul Brothers had had a little young crew that they call Youthful Soul, and you know, scheme. Razkaz when he used to go by some some other name, Raisin or something like that, he used to go by. He he was down. He was down with one of the crews. Oh, wow. Yep, and so um, and these guys used to go at it at this club called Joshua's that was in Inglewood, and Joshua's closed. It moved to Club Nouveau, which was on King Boulevard and like Gramercy Place, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, okay, and so that was the those those were the two Houser clubs where the Tribe Unique eventually rose to the top. Now they they were. They were they weren't as deep. It was only ever three or max four of them, and most of the time it would only be two of them. Right. So they always had vicious battles against a bunch of dudes, and that's what I saw. I saw with my own eyes them fight amazing wars in the streets, really? in the clubs, and then it would it would go over to clubs like Hollywood Live, um, clubs like Unity, clubs like Brown Rice and Barbecue. Um, and and um, L.A. Breakers used to used to do some stuff over at Chaos Network, so that was the scene. That was the dancer scene. Yeah. And I grew up with these cats, but so I'm really a MC. I was like a da- I was like an MC trapped in a dancer's body in a dancer's crew, and Zulu saw that. That's why he was like, "You should go to the Good Life and go vibe with some of those cats if you're really trying to be a rapper." Cause that's cool. You be hanging around us. You getting vibes and inspiration. But we just dancing. You know, you ain't gonna improve as a rapper unless you go up there. And he's right. I got up there, and the first person that embraced me was Volume Ten. Then eventually CVE, and then AC alone was like the jackpot. Cause we really started vibing. And as far so, as so you went in there when you went to the Good Life. You were you were you just sort of went on your own. Accord, oh no, I, right? I well okay. The very first time, yes. The very first time I went with Tribe Unique, but didn't get up with Tribe Unique. Oh, they actually got up on stage. No, no, I signed the list, and and the li- and my name never came up because I got we got there too late. Right. And they had this last minute, ten minute free for all at the end, so I hopped up on that. And I had been killing it in school at the winter session. They briefly tried winter session where you go to school during Christmas break. Uh-huh. It ended up being a bad idea and LA Unified stopped it. But for that brief one or two years they tried it, I was in it. And uh, that was my first year at Laces. And I had been killing it. We were at Audubon. And I had been killing it. Me and Trend from Funky Trend, Trendsetter, uh-huh. we have been killing it at, at the lunch times. You know, I'm talking. Crowds of 70 and 80 kids hovering right. around us where the principal comes over and is like, hey, y'all got to break this up. Really? We go over by the by the bathroom doors and just start beat. Kids come over there. It was like wow. we couldn't stop them. Wow. So we just were freestyling or were there freestyling, written, whatever. Yeah, right. Right. So we were killing it 
freestyle once you run out of writtens because didn't nobody have right. books and books and books of writtens at right. that time sure. right so I go up there pretty confident and I remember Reckless from, from, from Hip Hop Clan at the time now he's from CVE he was standing right there they, run, they wanted to hear him Wow. And then all my my school guys, it turned out they were they were like scared. And they were like, "Here, give it to him. Let him go." And I was like, "Well, fuck it." And I bust. And I'll never forget. Jew, peace, and cats in the back, probably even cool. They was like, "Please pass the mic." So I wasn't very really? confident. Right. Yeah, I didn't go very loud. It was dope, but I wasn't loud enough. And I was like, cuz I remember that feeling. Yeah. And then I was like, what? And then they were like, please, Pat. And Tribe Unique was sitting there like, oh, stall the homie. <laughs> like, oh, that's messed up. Like, oh. Right? Never forgot that feeling. Then Rhett came in. And I didn't think he was necessarily doper than what I was finna spit. He just was louder, a little more confident. Sure. And I'm like, oh, you got to be confident. I'm like, man, first of all, I told myself two things. I'm getting, I'm going to be one of the first people to come through the door next week. All right. I'm signing the list and I'm going to have something ready. And I think I went to Fat Jack and was like, give me a beat. Give me something. I could kill it. He gave me our best rapper novelist at the time's best beat that he had on his demo. And so that's that, that crew aspect, that lab aspect again. Of like we gonna cock, we gonna give you. Okay, yeah. forget it. Like I don't care if this is his son. You take this. Right. Is this the best representation of our crew? And I know you gonna kill it on this beat. And I did. I went in there and I smashed it, Peter. Nice. And I, that feeling that I got in. Oh, but it's different. I will say this: when I got up there the next time, I had Tribe Unique with me. Right. See, so and they got up, up and they were dancing. So I ain't gonna lie, I got it. I, I came into good life. I'm, I'm proud of the first time I spit, they weren't on stage. I got please pass the mic, but then the next good amount of times they would be with me to where eventually it got to the point where they'd be busy doing they didn't care that much about going to the good life right. as I did as an MC because it had already been going for a little bit once you got, yeah, right. yeah. So eventually, I'd be up there on my own, or I'd be with AC right. or whatever, you know. So, so you um, met him there as well, AC alone. You met I met at the Good Life, yeah. Right. Definitely met at the Good Life. I had met Micah at Volume Ten's house, as Volume Ten actually signed me to a management contract. Really? I was on, yeah, I was I was only like seven, like sixteen, I think. So that's what I'm saying. He was the first one to really. But I had I had already knew Fat Jack. Fat Jack and his brother tried to sign me to a production company, but my mom didn't let me sign. Like she took it to my dad, who took it to a lawyer, and was like, "Not only can he not sign that, but get them people far away from your son." <laughs> wow. <laughs> so she had had, you feel what I'm saying? She knows who she's raising us at. She knows she's like. My sister was on Romper Room back in the day when right. she was young, and right? She, she was a singer as well, yeah. No, but the Pointer Sisters, my dad's first cousins, were. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Now, even though we weren't really raised, didn't have contact with them, yeah. you know it's in the genes. And, sure. You know what I mean? My dad played some piano for his church. My mom was in the choir. Right. She okay. knew we had natural genetic skills. Right, right, right. So, And that she was raising me in close proximity to how she's like, he's going to school. 
you could see the Hollywood sign on the way to it. Right, you know what I mean? Right, right. So I'm not surprised that some kids is coming telling me my son is talented and I want to record him. Right. He's like, I'm just proud that it's for something positive. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a part of growing up in L.A. That's a thing that I think a lot of people... Um, that only in this city that like people uh, growing up, talented kids growing up, may face that whether it's an opportunity or someone that's trying to take advantage of them. Or well, or, she graduated in '65. Her and my dad. Uh-huh. Get this: they graduated in 1965 from Manual Arts High School, which, if you look at the yearbook in '65, it's like 20 percent black. Really. 70% white and 10% other. Mm-hmm. And the other probably make up like eight of that Asian. Mm-hmm. Right. You see like very few brown faces. Yeah. And so if you were to be like from 67 to 2007, boy, this city has changed. Yeah. Because it would probably be 90% Latino now. 90. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I shit you not. And like no white. Right. Yeah, zero point zero white <laughs> right. and like the blacks the eight and maybe a sprinkle of asian or something as the other only two percent go there now but and now so there she's graduating from there in 65 so they they went to school they said it was some kids in commercials and hollywood and stuff already when she was in school wow yeah yeah but she was going there you feel me yeah yeah there were, you you went you had friends from other schools that went to school with pick whoever it was sure, exactly time, right you know yeah, what i mean it's something that's like yeah on the consciousness of, of people in la I in mean, this yeah. city just yeah. like you grow up you know what i mean whatever you grow up in new york i'm not surprised you ended up acting or on broadway yeah exactly or whatever yeah yeah <coughs> So yeah, you know, you grow up in Texas. As a boy, you got a good chance of playing some football. Right, exactly. In that right. SEC conference, you know. Right. So then when do you start, when does the real recording begin? Because, um, um, well, actually, you know what, it's it, more... And just to cap off the dancing thing, I got right. we we, you know, we wanted to be like MC Light had leg one and leg two. Big Daddy uh, Kane had Scoob and Scrap. Right. Um, Heavy D had the boys. The Public Enemy had the S1Ws. Um, we wanted to be like that. EPMD, even for a while, had this dude named Stretch that they used to have dancing yeah. for them. So for me, it was natural. And, and coming from dancers, it was never even a thing. I, I'm lucky and blessed to have had two cats around my same age right. that could be into the same thing that I was getting into. And we were jointly lucky and blessed to go to the good life. And you know what? Not have very much competition of anybody that was trying to keep that going. Only person that was trying to keep it going was Big Al, which was the first person that asked Tribe Unique to dance for him. Right, right, right. And and Big Al was trying to get, Tribe Unique was trying to get Big Al to embrace me as like a young homie coming out under his wing. But he didn't really see it. Because I admit, I probably wasn't as dope. I was just getting dope. Yeah, you were just getting started. You know what I mean? I was just getting started. But it's funny, like, in, in high, I, you know, we had those moments where he was like, damn, had I known, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. 
but it's it's nothing but love like like for Big Al. He had a different thing going than we did. And Fellowship, what I little did I know, I'm glad I stepped up when I did. Fellowship had their eye on Tribe Unique. Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. AC always had his eye on them. And Micah even later admitted, we thought they should be dancing for us. They also danced for the Watts Prophets band yeah. and for like JMD, you know, Underground Railroad would right. go and do stuff for Horace Tapscott. And they'd come get Tribe Unique. So um, they were keeping that spirit alive in L.A. Now it's a lot of movements. You got the Crumpers. You got right. dancing has, has come back. You know, the Crenshaw uh, Dance at Yoga and, and, and Dance Center has a, has an every Monday night Crumper group th- that they have. And, you know, I'm yeah, glad it came phase. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. I, that reminds me, too, like, a long time ago, I had like this uh, a VHS dub of you performing in LA outside somewhere in a high school. I'm pretty sure it was a high school. Now I don't know if this. Obviously, you you've done tons of sh- I mean countless shows in Los Angeles. If this even comes to mind, because it was something that was like, you know, part of that. There's you know people dub tapes and dub VHSs and circulated in the underground, and you were a major um, component of that. You know. Um, as was many people within that Project Glow world. I mean, Hip Hop Queen of CVE, I think, are great examples of that, too. But um, there was this tape where it was basically, like, playing, like, in a like in a courtyard or something like that, like, really early. Like, do you remember this at all, or is just one of many shows back then? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was in the parking lot no, so. of the Good Life Cafe. Oh wow, was it? Okay. That was the parking lot of the Good Life Cafe. Wow, I had not, no idea that was the location. Yeah. And if you look at the tape, there's a there's a makeshift spray painted banner that says "Sounds of the Good Life," wow. because B Hall, the lady who used to run underground radio, yes, which yeah. which which was what the Thursday night was called, but everybody just always just called it the Good Life. She used to put out tapes. Where she'd get a song from, you know, all the people blowing up in there. Really? And she'd put out a compilation so that people... And so she, early on, I think she she saw the vision of having a record label. But, you know, unfortunately, it just never really came together for her. Right. You know, before we came of age and the industry flew in and started plucking us out one by one. Right. But that particular... Uh, and even though I didn't have a song on it, we agree she had asked for people to come perform that day. So, of course, we were down because anytime right. we could get some practice or some light or any stage time, we were hungry as hell. Right. So that was just me and Tribe Unique on a, on a, on a typical Saturday or Sunday afternoon in the parking lot of The Good Life, freely expressing ourselves, using that as an opportunity to just get open and right. try new things. So. completely freestyle with one another and, and play around with the format of how we could visually interpret things that I would say. Yeah, yeah, amazing, yeah. Um, I'd love to get into some of the, making some of those records with Fat Jack too. Cause we, cause, because, one, I don't think we really, I figured out how the two of you guys linked because he was really, obviously, instrumental in that, in the sound and translating what your vibe was because you know, if you look at it, there's, I mean, you're bringing something really distinctive to the table, one with like a very distinctive voice, and then just a v- lyrically like a certain kind of concept that was 
kind of unlike some of the, your contemporaries too. So he and he had this really rich, like very warm. Um, it's totally almost ahead of his time, like sensibility with to, that just kind of syncs up in a very particular way with underground fossils. I mean, mood pieces and and on, but that that stuff kind of fascinates me. Just um, that early synergy. Especially with like the, those early songs too. I mean, slow lights, of course, and um, torn, and some of these like things that were, you know, just very unique. Like, what? How do you remember some of that that period of time? Well, I'll tell you, Fat Jack. You know, his. I wrote first of all. I wrote a song about it. There's a song called "Brothers Forever." Right. Yes. That that on that, paint. Right. On paint that you probably should use at some point. I mean, you could almost take every verse and 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 play every verse in between in between this interview. Right. And it would it would uh narrate for you. <laughs> it would timestamp all these different eras that we're talking about. But um we literally met Fat Jack from I got to give Tribe Unique the credit for that because they want to dance. They want to go anywhere and dance. Venice Beach was people on the boardwalk, let's go there, put our hat out, dance for change. Money, get paid, go buy some weed, buy some burritos, dance some more. Right. Wherever we could do, we trying to dance, oh, they, the Palladium is take a tryouts for house party part three, go there. Right, right. Anywhere, we would go on the bus from South Central. And we would go. So, you could dance at the Good Life, go to Good Life, dance. You could dance at this TV show, Slam It or Jam It. Where they would go with Big Al, go over there. So, they heard about this record store called Poisonous Records. Ah, uh, yes. That was on Hollywood and Vine. They were doing open mics. And credit to them, there was this gay owner cat who actually was also the one that told them to come try out for House Party 3. And, um, you know, you'd look at him like, like, you know what I mean? I don't know about this dude. But he, he loved the art. Right. You know what I'm saying? That was one thing you couldn't deny. And give them credit for sitting there in Hollywood trying to do something community, trying to like bring artists together and give some kind of voice mm-hmm. to new artists. You know, I wish we could go and find that dude. I forget what his name was and interview him because he's he's basically a part of this whole shit. Oh wow. But um so Tribe Unique cares about it. We hop in at this time I can drive now. I got I got at least a permit or drivers and I've been being good, so mom lets me use the car. So we, but I gotta be back at a certain time, right, right, right. But they don't give a fuck about that, because it's like you gotta, you know, earn your stripes to be able to hang with us. You gotta take <laughs> right. some lumps at the house, you know. Otherwise, how we gonna do this? Because you know, my mom ain't giving me the car. His dad ain't giving him the car. And if we gonna make it, see, this, <laughs> this, this, that's a small component to really understanding. Uh, I tell these kids today, man, y'all couldn't eat. Our, y'all couldn't eat the scraps of our food back in the day. Homie, y'all couldn't hold our fucking socks, let alone jock straps. Right. For as hungry as we were, and we'd hop on the bus, we'd go to every opportunity there was to be seen, to be heard, to chase this dream of a life, of a career that we wanted to hold. Now, back to my story. So we get we, we go to this record store with all these, you know... Some weird, but we're weird, and so we like we up here. It's just a crazy mix of people, right? Crazy mix of people, so eclectic. 
They're like, today it would be normal, but for then it was very eclectic. This is still like the early 90s, yeah? Mid-90s? This is 91. Oh, wow. No. This is 1991. I'll tell you what month it was. It was July of 1991. I was about to turn 16 that November. Wow. So, so we're there and, uh, and, they, they, you know, Tribunique's dancing because he loved them because he was a dancer. Right. The, like, the, like, gay owner. Yeah. He was a black dude. He was cool. You know what I mean? He reminded you of Leroy from Fame. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, he would love them dancing. He put them on the platform and let them just go. Right. He got it. Right. He's like, y'all gonna be stars one day. Y'all just stars and waiting. Look how y'all dress. He knew he got ATU from the gate before we was even ATU. We was just tribe unique at that point. So then um Fat Jack had he had took a break. He used to have long hours at the session. He had a studio that him and his brother co-owned with an old cat, an old black musician cat that had made him some money, Carl Bird. And um mm. And they had a studio right on Hollywood and Vine in, at that time, what was called Studio Alley. Right. And there was also Cree Summers, who, who was who was Freddie on A Different World, had a band with this famous guitarist named Tori. I forget his last name. Okay. They were called Subject to Change. Their rehearsal studio was right next to ours, mm-hmm. to our studio. So, um, and, and former musician from Body Count, Ali, he he uh he was the the like drummer or lead singer of, of Body Count or something like that before Ice T came. Right. Ice T wanted him to spit gangster lyrics. He didn't want to, so he left the band. He was hanging around there too. We eventually would draft him to, and sampled him for some recordings. But anyway, I bring all those things up to show you it was it was it was a real place. They was doing some yeah. real shit in that alley, right? And um and anyway uh. Fat Jack would come over to the... He knew they were doing that. So he's like, oh, let me go just get a big gulp from 7-Up and go see what these fools are doing across the street. Right. So the mic time came to rap. He wasn't even paying attention, but his best rapper at the time, Novelist, whose name I, I mentioned in the story before, right. he was listening to me and he heard me. And he was like, man, Fat, you need to check out this cat. Because he knew Fat was into all that weird shit and was trying to meet somebody like that to record... Some more native tonguey, for lack of a better description, type stuff. And Fat was like, man, I got enough rappers. I don't need to hear no more rappers. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But then he thought about it like, but wait a minute. That's Al. That's Novelist saying it. And he's hella arrogant and don't be bigging nobody up. Right, right, right. He be making all the rappers mad. They be <laughs> outshining them, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, hold on. Let me go. And he comes up to me. He's rocking a yellow bandana. <laughs> Which I thought was weird. And he had on one of the Venice Beach type Bob Marley, like your, your Bob Marley starter kit shirt. Right. Like the first one you get when you first like reggae. <laughs> With a, not gold, but yellow bandana. I'm like, come on, homie. You looking kind of soft. You know what I mean? But he's a big dude. And he's like, my boy said you, you know, it was good or whatever. He was like, he was like, come out here. And he was like, brought me outside. I'm like, you know? Just kind of like really skeptical of this dude. Because he's big enough to just snatch me or something. I'm in Hollywood. You hear stuff, you know? And uh, he's like, let me hear you rap. 
And for some reason, I was like, fuck it. So I start rapping. I spit the verse verse of Looking Glass, which we later put out on Underground Fossils, yeah. you mentioned earlier. Before I could even get through it, he was like, come here, come here. He starts walking across the street. And for some reason, I just trusted him. And Zulu and them like, yo, where you going? I'm like, I'm going to go with this dude. So we go, right? He takes me. We go down. You see like a conveyor. It's like some saw shit, in other words. Like, you, <laughs> like we going into somewhere shady. Right. So little does he know, we're hella apprehensive and ready for any twist. Like hood, South Central, untrusting of Hollywood cats. Right, right. Keep in mind. So we walk into a fully automated 48 or whatever track studio. Wow. They had like a Neve and they had shit. We didn't even know what it was. So wow. because we didn't know what it was, we didn't react like, whoa. We were just like, okay, we were waiting for the like, you're on candy camera moment, <laughs> right? right? And he was like, yeah, we, we, we just do this, da, da, da. And I looked and it was, I'm already nervous because it's starting to get late. It's like midnight. I'm, I'm going to get my ass handed to me by mom, right. right? So I'm like, I got to go home. And I'm like, y'all, he's like, so yeah. And I'm like, they're like, yeah, we going to this club to go dance, whatever. They still want to go to the club. And then I'm like, he's like, well, y'all could just come back through. We'd be in here anytime. He's like, my session's going to start back at one in the morning. And I'm like, damn, y'all be in here that late? That's foreign to me right. at 15. You feel me? Sure, yeah. So he like, yeah, yeah, we here all night. And so we leave. I go with him to the club. And what's being said about us as we leave is Fat Jack is like, man, they just clowning us. They signed already. I know they are. He's like, wow. look at them. He's like, they look like a sign. He's like, they probably signed to like, I don't know. He's like, they signed. I wow. know they are. He's <clears> like, they just playing us. They just wanted to see what we was working with. <laughs> right? And we go to the club. Tribe Unique is doing the only thing they care about, which is dancing in the circle and hollering at chicks, right, you know. Right, right. I'm there like I was pretty much the hold my jacket kind of dude, <laughs> right? You know, and I got the keys and but and it's a burning sensation in my head like I gotta go back there. I can't believe they're still in there. What are they doing in there? This right. late? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. So dude. I I like rally them out by like twelve forty five. Like man, we gotta go. But I go well, fuck it. Twelve forty five one. You know what I mean? So I go back by. I go back by just to show them that, like, I'm real and I got some interest, right? But then we leave pretty quick. And we go back there every time they have that thing. And we, so let's say all the way up until school starts. School starts. So that's a whole August of, like, going there, right? And... And you're hanging out, right? Are you? You're not putting stuff to tape, or you start actually making songs. I'm, um, and you, and you know what? I'm gonna give a correction. I hadn't had. I, we weren't in my mom's car the first time. We would have been in one of their car. We would have been like in Irie's car. Why that's important is because every time we went after that, it okay. would be like at their when if they wanted to go, and then they'd be there, and then I'd go over and see what he was doing. Right. It got to the point where they would come get me, like we leaving. Right, I wouldn't even. The club will come get you. Yeah, I wouldn't even. Yeah, exactly. So, (laughs) finally, school started. I'm sorry. So school started. So I turn. I did turn 16, and then got my learners, and then so finally, mom's came, and I came and visited them one one day 
one Sunday by myself. Wow, okay. And he couldn't believe it. Like, damn, you're here. And so the next, I think the next opportunity I got to do that, he's like, it was getting late. It's like 11. And he's like, yo, Ab, he's like, I can record you tonight. Because we always talked about recording me as this big grandiose thing that was going to happen. And Oh, wow, really? Okay. Right? One day it'll happen. Mm-hmm. I got to finish him first. Yeah. I got to fin- do some more beats for him. So right now, just go here. Go through these records. Go through all these records and tell me. So he set me up on a, on a stand station and just go through records. It'd be like the meters right. and, you know... And I and I and so he'd be like, and if your if your uncles or your dad or mom and them got any records that you like, you want to sell? Okay, so when we went, I went on a mission to rinse all my family of all their records, right? I'd come back with like, you know what I mean, with all kind of shit. And he's like, yeah, Bobby Hutchinson, yeah, you know, Bill with it. He's like, oh, you like that? You like that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, this masquerade and this and 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 so. um then he's like, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, we like Hendrix and Prince and Michael, you know, Soul for Isley Brothers, you know what I mean? We, we, we wanted that, we knew we wanted some kind of fusion mm-hmm. of all these influences that we had. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he just bangs out these four beats for me. And the songs, one was called Living Without a Life. The other one was called Looking Glass. <clears throat> the other one was called Time Slow Down. And the fourth one was called Mr. No-No Man, which was sampled from, so he made a deal with Ali that Ali could come in and use the studio, and when he did have musicians together, that they would do a jam session that Fat Jack could sample from. He would track everything, you know, out, and he could sample each instrument. So that was their handshake deal. So on the first night that they hooked up, I just actually happened to surprise visit. So I ended up being the MC for that band, and we called it Shangles. And out of nowhere, from literally just freestyles, we like made a band too. Wow! Okay. So that happened, and then Ali, who had who was on the scene, he knew the Bronx style Bobs and the Tories and the Creed Summers and the, all those people. Okay. Had, yes. He and he knew God cats like Todd Rubenstein, who was writing for Herb. He was writing for the unsigned hype section of Herb. That I had the first time I opened up Herb magazine, I saw Will One X in there. Right. Later became Will I Am. So he brought Todd Rubenstein around, and it was like post that demo I recorded with Fat Jack. So that night I stayed. How they how they ended that that those I've like scribbled out all four songs right. Recorded each one like by the time I got in there, I had fell asleep probably about midnight. Woke up, I had Pat Pedro. My mom had been blowing me up nine one one nine one. I knew I was in trouble, but I had to go for it. I'm like fuck it. So she, um, he got me in a booth. I literally woke right up like one twenty, like one fifteen. You could even hear the scratchiness in the first song, and just did it. Just one take everything. Mind you, this is my first time recording, tracking, understanding tracks, right, everything. Right, but right, right, right. I had had some prep work from him, and he had played me all this stuff, so I knew what I had to do. But you had to be that ready and present to go. And that demo got me an unsigned hype by Ty Rubenstein. No who he Yeah, he came over to hear Shangles. Right. But he was as impressed with this demo that Fat Jack played for him. 
and I ended up in unsigned hype. I'm on. I'm in. I'm, I'm in. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm in eleventh grade. Yeah. Like I'm sixteen in unsigned hype. That's what's and up. And then he does the story on Shangles too. It's probably the. You know what I mean? Like in the coming year, he does the story on Shangles too. But I was still sixteen. So like now I'm I'm playing Coconut Teaser. We yeah. played the Roxy. We played a couple of those ASCAP showcase things. So people are booking you. They're reaching out and booking. The you, right? Ali is getting us booked. Nice We're idea. like playing places. Um, I'm I'm on. I'm like 16, 7, I'm at school, but after school, I'm like playing places. And Ali That's is getting us to play, right? That's got to be exciting as hell. Right but now. keep in mind, I came from Pilgrim and then Poway Unified that one year in tenth. So by the time I got back to LA Unified, which I think was Poway Unified, was third in the nation. Right. And that's a public school system right. out there. I, I went to Rancho Bernardo High School the first year it opened. Uh, it wasn't even, it was like a $36 million school built from all from the kids' parents' donations. Oh, wow. I mean, the science wow. room had seat, heated seats and shit. And wow. You walked in and the lights came on. Like, it was crazy. Right? Four-sided scoreboard, roll-in baskets in the gym. Cold ice water fountains everywhere. Right. Like lining the whole wall. We had like... Two fountains, one was cold Get all my school (laughs) But anyway um, So So yeah So um, I I I only had four classes It's like Oh so you had some time Yeah I only had the mandatory classes It was all the rest was homeschool Mm. So so let's say I only had a one through Through four Uh period So So five, six, seven I was off homeschool yeah, so days where it was like one, three, five, seven, I'm out. Even I'm out after third period. You feel me? Right. So that was another factor too. Sure. That was another factor. And then having friends. So by the time I had Fajak's ten years older than me, you know, Tribe Unique's three and four years older than me, and then all the mass men homies we started meeting and and, and assimilating with. It's like six and seven, eight years closer to the fat between Tribunique and Fat Jack's age. Right. So that translated into candy red convertible sobs coming to pick me up. Really? Sometimes yeah. at nine thirty, and the homies coming onto the campus with the campus security being like, "Whoa, whoa, hold on, what's going?" Like, "Oh, we're here to pick up Aaron," wow. <laughs> and I'm going from there to like Larry Parker's for lunch, seeing like Snoop wow. Dogg at an adjacent table. Wow, you know, and then I and then the next time I go back to Larry Parker's with him because he is a baller and just used to just bleed money. Um, they they have a Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg, Chili Dog, and like <laughs> me know that I was there probably you know before they had that and seen them. Uh, you know, definitely and 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 like going out and like and then yeah, going out to different clubs and stuff. I was too young to even get into right. But I was the tallest out of us, and I I had facial hair already, so I could look older. Sure, you know, it always be like, oh, you don't have his ID or whatever. And so anyway, it was a whole journey of fucking with Fat Jack, and a lot of trust built up for him, of like to where people started coming at me because like Rico Suave, remember that guy Gerardo, of Gerardo, Gerardo, Gerardo. Yes. okay. His management came up to me one one time at something, and, and they hit me up like one. Can I remember I called Fat really? Jack? Yeah, I called Fat Jack like to go with me 
and I'm like, yeah, come with me. And he was he was honored that I he was he couldn't believe that I even told him about it that I involved him. So he we really became brothers like and then that's why and so i think his brother saw it getting out of hand he's like we better sign all these kids there's some real momentum right he's like we better sign these kids and they gave us that paperwork and my mom took it to my dad who smart enough being the pointer sister's cousin right to take it to an entertainment lawyer my dad just worked for Boeing, formerly McDonnell Douglas, but he's smart. Oh, nice, yeah. You know, right. the Navy man, sure. you know what I mean, was in Vietnam. Wow, okay. So he's smart enough to take it to a lawyer. Yeah. And like I say, they said, now, they said, get those people away from your son, which was very unsavory to my mom. Right. And pretty much, when she was like, uh-uh, they don't have my son's best interests. But I was like, nah, ma. And then that caused kind of, a rift between Fat and his brother mm, because wow, he was wow. like man Jack yo these fucked up contracts gonna make me lose all my groups because to, to, it was Ice Smooth and DK Toon they right. were they were the ghetto gods and they people said the same thing because his, his mother-in-law she's smart too she had been in the industry so on some level she was in media or something right. nobody's but now some of the groups that have been with him forever they just signed it like no questions okay. asked right right like novelists and those guys, but um, all the new LA people, and I even think AWOL one, yeah, I don't, even, I don't think he's signed it either. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's had an attorney look at it wasn't gonna sign it. Right. It was like production company, we own you. Yeah, everything you, get, you do, we're gonna have. We get the lion's share. Right. So, the, um, but I think over time, Fat Jack was still so much in my life and supporting me that my mom saw. That okay, at least he was a good dude, even if she didn't trust right, whatever that right, was right, about, right, right. right? But she kept her her doubts, right? Well, I mean, it's interesting that you would have like that kind of really early contract and sort of uh, label experience because that's brought up in L.A., man. Right, that's all it is. Well, I mean, that leads me to I'm I've always been curious about. Now, this might be jumping ahead a couple of years, but it is that early material. Is what? Where did the Grand Royal thing fall in, in, into your life? Like, okay, the, so we're this we're on this timeline of Fat Jack's brother lost that studio. Okay, and Fat Jack then had to move in with his wife. Because he had he went from being an orkin man, very stable income, to then feeling glass ceilinged by that because he didn't finish school. Right. And okay. you couldn't like drive the truck and be a supervisor. You could only go so high. Sure. Right? And he didn't want to be carrying hundred and fifty pound tarps up Aaron Spelling's roof, which was actually what property he had he had fumigated, really, right. by the way. So so he didn't want to be doing that shit for the rest of his life. Was doing security. But then he'd be like falling asleep doing security and like ditching to go to the studio. So the plan was to like, you know, make some shit happen with his music. His brother got out the Navy. He activated his GI Bill. They bought equipment. You know, the funny thing is when they first got started way back, they put an ad out searching for artists and rappers. Hmm. When they only had the equipment in like an apartment in Harthon. And an 18-year-old AC alone replied to the article, came over, rapped for them, but they didn't let him in the room to see the equipment because they figured he was from the hood. 
and oh and they, but they had to build up trust. And he was like, "Let me see." He kept saying, "Let me see the equipment," which really made him not trust him. Right, right, and right. so when they when they finally were ready to get up and running, they hit him back up, and he had his homie be like, "Oh, hey, Stallone, don't live here no more." <laughs> and they recanted this story the the the, the night that AC literally came up to me to tell me, "Yo, you're tight. I like you. Um, let's work on some shit." Vajak was standing right there, like, "Wait a minute, man, I know you." He's like, "You're AC alone." He's like, "Yeah," and he's like. And they recanted the story. And AC was like, whoa, yeah, that <laughs> wow. is you. That was the moment. That was the very first time that me and AC met. That was a moment. But oh, anyway, so, so Grand Royal comes into play with AC because <clears throat> so now Fadjack's like breaking, breaking away from Hollywood and Vine. His brother goes back to like West Covina where his house was. Okay. Fadjack goes to his wife's house where she's staying with her sister at the house they grew up in the 215 lab okay. in Inglewood. right right so that's when he moved over there and eventually we kind of ran her sister out of there uh-huh. with our chicanery you know <laughs> so then one of the rooms turned into our lab gotcha okay right okay. and and um so ac came over there when we the first thing we hooked up on we wrote Masquerade. And this took us... Really? That was the first thing you guys <clears throat> worked yep. on together? Yep. With our, the first session was in, like, November of of 91. But it was before my birthday. Okay. So he didn't even know that he's sitting there writing with a 16-year-old. Wow. When's your birthday? It's in October, right? It's in November. No, okay. It's in November. You know what I mean? But I was born in 75, so... It wasn't until November seventeenth that I was gonna turn sixteen. Right, right. But we 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 hooked up well before Thanksgiving that year. It was just starting to get cold. It was like earlier in November. Okay. So right. I mean, I was about to turn seventeen. Right, right, right. Right. But I don't even think he knew I was that. He thought I was like Zulu's age. Right. Right. Because we, you know, we didn't talk about it. You know what sure, I mean? Sure, sure. So um. We start writing, and I remember for Thanksgiving I went to San Diego to visit my auntie and my friends down there who I had made from that year in high school. And I got back in, and I had a, a sticket, a blue sticket on the door saying AC alone called, mm. which I was like, how the fuck? Because so he must have called my mom, and because she knew, you feel me? By then she knew older men calling the house. Yeah. It must be something about this music thing. Yes. You feel me? So she gives him the number that I'm at in San Diego. Wow. You know how crazy that was for me? Like, how the fuck do I get back to my auntie's house? (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm 17, and I got a message from AC alone from the fellowship, yo. That's huge. (laughs) That was huge. And he found you somehow. He was saying, he was saying... Yo, when we gonna work back on the song? And I'm like, oh, it's good. Wow. I'm I'm out here visiting my people. So I got back down there, and we we hooked back up like once or twice a week over at the lab at two fifteen. Nice. And he liked it over there. But man, we were so broke. We was piecing up on nickels, eating bags of fries from around the corner. Trust that. Right. He was on the bus. Right. And then once I got a car, I'd, I I could drive us. So I had a car. These fools were in that having warrants and all that stage i was a fresh driver out here <laughs> right. so we could ride me we could ride me like a host you know <laughs> so um 
that was a component in it too. So me and AC from there, we had Masquerade, and then our my other producer Djak, he was in the mix. We got together that single, and we literally rode around in my car. We we pawned shit. We pawned like he had an old cell phone and an old camera. I had like the Nintendo's, <laughs> whatever we had. We scraped together. Money. We skate together like three hundred bucks, and um, made a deal with this other cat. This cat named Terrence from Point Blank Magazine out in the Pomona era. Shout to him and Fizz Ed, but they also Fizz Ed, Ed right. they, was on a radio show too, with like Rock Berry and all those guys. So. They gave us the other half of the money to press up the whole full. Eventually, AC went around and got songs from everybody. And you're and, talking um, about the Project Blow. The comp play, but before then, it was it was it was just a single. It was just a single what at was first. On it? it was the Masquerade song with uh, Double Dose. Yes, we made a song called Double Dose. Okay. Djak did that beat. And it probably had an interlude or two on there too. I think I think probably could have been on there. Oh wow, right. And then just some like other little interlude type stuff. And it was a red tape. We bought the the materials for the tape from Crossroads, right there on fucking Sunset or Hollywood. Uh and hand writ on them shits and wow. we used to sell them for like five bucks right at the good life. And would you believe that B plus he bought one? He gave the tape to Carmelo, who was that? Carmelo was this this native cat who somehow he was just in the mix. Okay, he worked at Grand Royal, but just in the stock room. Gotcha. Literally like work shuffling boxes. Right. That's what he was doing at Grand Royal. No no higher title than that. So he's ambitious. Somehow he knows B plus probably through you know, he could get records out of there and B plus is like, get me some shit. Right, right. He's he's got access to the extra large stuff. I don't know right. why he knows B plus. Some reason. Because B plus has lived in that Echo Park Silver Lake area forever. Yeah, for whatever right. reason. You know what I mean? He knew B plus and B plus gave him the tape. Okay? Or or sold it to him. Okay. B plus might have bought a couple. Right. So B plus gave it to him. He played it for Mike D because they played golf together. No way, okay. Interesting. So in Mike D's Cadillac, he plays the tape. A masquerade. Yes. And Mike D goes. Now, what, what Carmelo's thinking is, I could get a member of the Freestyle Fellowship signed to Grand Royal and maybe somehow be the A&R. Or maybe okay. they'll think I'm cool because I brought them this artist. Right. And I know he'll work because he already had a deal. And somehow they, they fell together. I know it's a lot of kids in the streets that like them. And also, he had been to the good life before, Carmelo himself. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's how he knew B plus or whatever, but they did too know each other. And um I hear today he turned into a hell of a body lifter type type dude. I forget really? what his last name was. <laughs> right. But it's Carmelo. I even say his name on the album that I started. When I t- said hello to Carmelo at the good life. Yeah. Must have been a good, good night. night. Uh and I see the side of soil I handed a tape to Mike D at Grand Royal. Yeah. Now, 
B plus and Carmelo were always salty about that line because B plus was like, I'm the one that gave Carmelo mm-hmm. the tape. And Carmelo said, I'm the one gave it to to Mike D. Because Mike D uh said, Let me have that. Let me let me hold on to that tape. And Carmelo was like, Man, all right, well like dub it and give it back. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I need to get that back. So Mike D made the necessary inquiry to get to Kim to some and like somehow yeah, some no, that's right. Mike D somehow presented to I think Gary Gershwin that he wanted to sign him. Kim Bowie was already working as an A and R for Capital. Right. Because Granville was signed under Capital. Yes. Right? Yeah. And as soon as she got a whiff of it, because she had already planned to sign, she was just trying to figure out what she wanted to do with AC. She wasn't quite sure that he was like Micah. Like, she signed Micah right off. Yeah, because Micah, what people don't really realize, yeah, he was signed to Capital as well. Right? He was signed first, which is proof that the industry knew that he was commercially accepted in their eyes yeah. to make a full flare. He got a full 175 deal. You feel me? Yes. Whereas AC's initial deal was more like an EP deal for right. a fraction of that. Right. Right? Like a, let's see what you got kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Right? So, she quickly moved to sign him. They went to Lollapalooza. The BC Boys. Yeah, right. they started Lollapalooza. And next thing you know, Gary's like, oh, well, Kim signed your boy. Wow. And, he's, and I, apparently he was probably like, what? Oh, shit. So now AC signed. He's doing sessions. And I'm in the studio with him. Remember, he's on the bus. So, like, sometimes I'm, like, taking him there or at least taking him home after he's, like, getting out at 2, 3 in the morning. And AC's a proud dude. And I, I see him and I'm like, where are you? I'm like, where, how you know, the buses don't even run that late, especially up certain streets. Okay. And, like, maybe he we're at the kitchen sink way on, like, Sunset and, and Western. And like he's gonna walk to La Brea. Wow! You feel me? Like that's just, these cats. These kids don't even understand how much we we sweat and sacrificed to yeah. get to the point where we was at. But anyway, that's that's a whole other story. Um, so were but, you guys? Did you talk about the capital thing? This is what happened. He, I'm there, so I'm there. So my presence is felt. And eventually, he got me on. He got me on a couple of songs. So he got me. We, we did keep it true. Like Bad right, Jack came song. in. Yeah, we did keep it true, which is pretty much start. I think we did deep and wide first. Okay. Because he had he had these first six songs. Like he had these first songs. Then we did like deep and wide, and like and like keep it true, and maybe feet up on the table. Oh, and dope. that's when. Kim and, and Gary realized, oh, well, shit, hold on. Maybe he can invoke the same fellowship kind of, you know, and they extended his deal. Mm, okay. They extended his deal. So the homies, me, CVE, fellowship definitely had a had a, had a part in, you know, that ACLone brand becoming a sure. bona fide solo brand. Right. Well, production was involved with it. I mean, the uh, appearances Again, were Again, the lab. The lab factor right, was right. still there. Of course. You know what I'm yes. And, um, but we, and then we rolled that. Thank God for AC because he brought all of us along with him. He was like right. the strongest one as as fate would have it from the fellowship to 
to bring everybody with them. Right, because Micah's deal ended up not really panning out. Yeah, because Mike's the head case artist. It's like, oh, you don't like what I'm turning in? Well, fuck you. I'll go get another deal. But then another mm-hmm. deal just never came. Sure. Right? And it's it's crazy because you listen to that material now, and it's like the times have caught up. He was just always ahead of his time. Of course. Always. Because yeah. all he was doing was he was like singing along with the cadence of the everything that everybody would go on to, right. to bite from him and do. He was doing ahead of his time. Are you saying, is it like bring, uh, sand to the bringing beach? my sand to the beach? So bringing incredible. My, so all that stuff. You Now you'd be like, that would be a new artist that you'd be like, oh, that's, you know, he's incredible. He's Kendrick. What, I don't want to say the wise name, but yeah, but you I know what I mean? Yeah. You'd be like, he's. Yeah. That would have worked today. That would apply today for sure. There you go. Right. So um, Kim Bowie then came to me and goes, oh, so this is what happened. I so. We're we're going on with our with our project blow shit. We're like we're doing our project blow shit, and um, that's right. We made the deal with we point blank gave us half the money, so we we pressed up our tape, and we're selling the whole compilation now. We did this crazy show at the at the uh, one of the first unities. Okay, when it was on like six and Rampart. Burnt down the place. There's footage of it on the internet. It's me. I'm doing Strength of ATU. Nice. And then, like, we do some stuff together. Me and AC, it's just, we we murdered that show. That was the night. It was A-Team headlining with Unified Revolution and Western Hemisphere. Wow. And that wow. was before they were Jurassic 5. Yes, was Unified course. Revolution. And, I mean, Western Hemisphere in itself, such an epic yet and short-lived Western group. Hemisphere with me, Green, Raskas, and Voodoo. When they were still, they were civil with one another. All too, those right? people were in the house oh, on one crazy bill. And we kind of had cats in the street that had their little hood money ready to invest in us. And I remember coming to the good life one night, all happy, telling the homies about it. And I'm talking to him about it probably at this volume. But I'm like, yeah, it's going to be going down. Little do I know Carmelo's ear hustling right here. You feel me? He's right. ear hustling, like listening. And um, he comes to me out the blue, like tap, tap. And he's like, yo, what's that distribution you were talking about? And I was like, do I know you on me? I'm like, for one, that's hella creepy that you were like all in our conversation. <laughs> yeah. Listening. Now, I swear about three nights before that, in the st- at the end of one of AC sessions, Kim Bowie came to me and she said, have you ever heard of Grand Royal? And I was like, because I remember at one point, AC was supposed to be signing to there. I didn't even know the Beastie Boys owned it. Right. Okay. It's just, I knew it wasn't Motown, RCA, you know what right. I mean? Epic. So I was like, I knew it wasn't one of them, like Gap, I mean, one of the new ones. So... I'm like, no. I'm like, AC was supposed to sign to there, right? And she was like, well, yeah. And they were very upset that, like, I, I ended up signing them direct. But anyway, um, you know, patting uh, herself on that. Right, 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 right. <laughs> she was, like, gloating. You know, I love Kim, though. She was so real. Because she signed them to Island when she was A&R. And she signed Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy. Really? Loved these boys so much that when she left Island, didn't leave them high and dry, came back. And and signed Micah to ca- sign Spearhead. Spearhead to Franti. Then she signed Micah. Then she signed AC. And now she here finna sign his boy. You feel me? Wow. Would have yes. signed Joop if he wasn't in jail. Wanted to sign Peace. Be had a crazy like manager girlfriend at the time, and that she couldn't work with. So there could, if everything lined up the right, everybody would have had a solo. Wow. A co- that's how dope of an A and R she was. Yeah. 
And you know, she was interviewed for This Is The Life, but none of that footage ended up making it really? to the final cut. That's too bad, because she yeah. seemed like an integral part to it. I, I, I've told Ava about her and said that she should go interview her, and I know for a fact that she did interview her. So those tapes are somewhere as the lost so, Kim Bowie files that maybe you could unearth maybe, one day. Yeah, something. maybe I can. That sounds like a great story. <clears throat> but she came to me and said, yes, um, but... They're looking for a solo artist with a distinct voice, which I think you fit both of those. And she's like, and, you know, I think you have a good good enough, you know, commercial thing going on where I think I could sell them to you. She's like, now, don't call me on it or anything. The classic don't call us, we'll call right, you. Right. And I was like, wow, I'm having a, a like industry 101 moment. I yeah, love this. Seriously. Um yeah okay she's like don't call us we'll call you but i'm thinking that i could get you signed to grand royal and then i'd be the point person at capital so i already left that situation kind of like but because of the don't call me on it and then my manager at the time he had dealt with kim you know and it was like be skeptical of these people you don't ever listen to what they sure. say Right, they'll sell you on dreams forever, right. and you'll never get a call. Mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. so I'm listening to hood like we finna put some master P type. I'm about it money into this <laughs> shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening to that right, and um, I'm coming to the to the blow to the good life, telling the homies about it. Right, and these are the dog days of the good life, the end days. Right, they're starting to get checked at the door, like. Really? There's, you know, certain people that feel entitled to be able to get in for free aren't being let in for free. Okay. But yeah. people are coming from miles around to come see them. Yeah, yeah. And there was something about that that as you look back on it now, it's very petty, but it seemed very right. big to some broke kids who were piecing up on nickels mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. taking the bus sometimes to get there. Right. Sure. So... Uh, the movement was starting to it was going to end up being it was going to shift to Lamert pretty soon right and what and, would be, what would be project blow and what would be project blow and here comes Carmelo and he when he's and he's like what distribution I'm like do I know you and he's like oh I'm, Car- I'm Carmelo I work for uh, Grand Royal mm. ding the light goes off smart enough to make that connection with what Kim said and I'm like, yeah. And I had just happened to have, you know, used to carry around all your tapes, all my newest recordings, everything right. that I had, I had on me. And I was driving Fat Jack's convertible Z. Briefly, he had this Z with the with the, with the tops that used to unbuckle off. Right, so, right. And, and I pulled him into that car and it had a bumping system and I played it for him. What did you play? I played him like the the whole first demo. Nice. With some of the stuff would end up being on underground fossils. Like I told you, Looking Glass was from literally this and it's the same recorded version from that night. Wow. We never changed it. Um that was the only song that survived that that we actually used. Though I remade another one for Fat Jack's Cater to the DJ Part Two, uh Living Without a Life. Um Living in a world today that's so cold, you know, that one. But I, I changed the hook when I redid it on, on his one. Right. But anyway, um, what else? It would have been like Strength of ATU. I had, oh, uh, the original version of Slow Lights. Oh, interesting. Um, would it have the same beat or just different lyrics or what was, it was different? A different altogether? beat. 
Same lyrics, different beat. Dope. Interesting. And um, an earlier version of Rolling in My Car. Oh, wow. Okay. And the reason why we weren't able to use those original versions because they were too sample laden. Right. And so, um, he, I played him a good eight songs enough for, and then he was like, yeah, he's like, I want to play the, okay, he told me, I play golf with Mike. I played him y'all's tape. He liked it. He's like, I got it from V plus played it for him. He liked it. He's like, yeah, he actually kept my tape. I need to get it back from him. And he's like, uh, He's like, where do you record all this stuff? And I'm like, well, man, we used to have a studio of it, shit in our fucking bedroom, whatever. A that's wherever we can, right? And he's like, well, we got a studio down there at G Sun. And he's like, I could call Mike. He's on tour in Europe, but I could get him to give me, you know, to let you in there. Okay. All we'd have to do is have an engineer. And he's like, does your boy know what he's doing? Does he know his gear and all that? And I'm like, yeah, he does. I'm like, what kind of studio and then so I went to Fat Jack and I was like yo if we got in there okay, man we a nigga we'll bang some shit out quick <laughs> hell yeah to put a, have a put us in there and I think somehow uh, Mike was like and so then he calls Mike and Mike's like yeah he's like yeah you know the other kid on the song with them you could get him mm. and he's like yeah okay do it so I go down there. So we posse up. We go all the way down there, right? We get there. And the lady's tripping on us. Natalie Carlson, the label manager. Okay. And guess who's in there? Who's in the studio wrapping up a session? We're hearing. Well, I'm a loser, baby. So why don't you kill me? I swear to God, Beck was in there, and this wow. is before he was even out. He was in there making that shit. He was in G Sun Studios at Water. While I'm in the loading dock, label manager is like, "Who the fuck do you think you are, Stock Boy Carmelo, leaping over me?" Wow. Yeah. She told me, and she's like. And she's like, I don't know who told you what, but nobody comes in here without my approval. Right, right. Right? And so I was like, okay, you know, respectful. I'm like, we'll leave or whatever, right? And then she's like, just hold on, hold on, you know. So we're sitting down at like a, they got like a bench in there, like a real cafeteria bench. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. So we in there and like, I swear when she came back, because she didn't crack one smile at first. And when she came back around that corner after talking to Mike, he must have been like, what are you doing? That's the artist I want to sign. Go back and let you, of course, let him in the studio. You know what I mean? Right. Like, would she, they, would you... she came back like, I mean, it was all different. It was like grinning ear to ear right. and like smoothing it out. I'm not kissing our ass, but definitely like, okay, the upstairs say you good, so right. you good. But just so you know, it all has to go through me, you know, da, da, da. So I was like, cool. And we got to go up in there with Brian Foxworthy, the engineer. And that first night, he just kind of, we got the ropes of everything. And I think all we did was just Fat Jack dump all the music. Okay. Right? But man, we in there, they got a basketball court, full ramp. Zulu, who knows how to skate, is our skating. It, it, it's pretty much like, yeah, y'all can, can do whatever. Like, don't touch the... 
you seeing all the instruments, it's like, don't yeah. fuck with, you know, they shit shit, but you could, you know, fuck around a little bit. And I felt so privileged. Yeah, it was incredible. And, I mean, it was just like it happened, just like that, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm up in there. And we didn't waste no time. I went in there, I recorded yesterday and today. I nice. redid Slow Lights as you hear it on Fossils. Mm-hmm. Um, I did These Lions as you hear it on Fossils. Basically, everything on Fossils is is what I did for them. I redid, uh, yeah, everything you hear on Fossils. And it was supposed to be like a $10,000 demo deal. Right, right. And they had like 30 days to accept me to say that they were going to sign. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So this is like, I want to say, so all this is happening by like, I feel like I'm out of school now once this is happening. Right? Yeah. A couple of, a few years has gone by since the. Well, no, it's like November 93. Really? Yeah. This is like, this is like October, November, 93. So I didn't wait. So I got out in June of 93. Right. Checked into Santa Monica. Because my plan was to go two years. Why do the the, the two years trying to kill yourself at UCLA or USC, which was my goal. I wanted to go to UCLA. Okay. So I'm like two years Santa Monica, transfer to UCLA with my AA. You feel me? Right, yeah. And oh, this is a key key component. Um, so you know, I met my my manager, who the guy who became my manager before I got signed. His name was Top. It was his nickname. It was his industry name. Everybody knew him as Flat Top. Then it was shortened to Top. But Anthony Barton, he had managed King T, Broadway, and was instrumental in in uh Rifkin getting the deal for loud really yeah oh wow okay so he made things happen made so. things happen and he was one of those guys like Adrian Miller like they ran together Adrian Miller who right. was was he was volume 10's A&R during the during the at Immortal right way back then and to this day he's a- Anderson Pack he's the man behind Anderson Pack yeah. so these guys were like they were industry stewards brothers that was out there that that cats like us was falling to them. Right, right, right. And Bilal Allah and cats like that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so at one of those things Ali took us to, I had had a card from this man named Dave Pensado. Okay. Who, if you Google him and look, try to look for him, He's one of the most renowned mixing engineers in the business oh, right amazing. now. Right. Him and Herb or whatever. I think I think Herbie Hancock, if I'm not mistaken. But him and Herb, somebody, if it's not Herbie Hancock, they have a whole thing they do together. A whole show. Really? Okay. Yeah. Pensado something. Um, but oh no, yeah, he's he's everybody. Big wigs. He's and even back then, he Chucky Booker was all with him. And wow. Okay, so he was intrigued by us, loved us, and got a chance to run a division, RCA Caper Records. Caper Records. Okay. They signed a group out of Atlanta called Afroplanes. This is pre, this is pre fucking uh, Outcasts. Okay. Okay. They're called the Afroplanes, and when we first met Top, who we met through AWOL, somehow AWOL met Top. 
at, at one of those ASCAP showcase things. I guess Top was like, mm, sign me up thinking Eminem before Eminem, right? <laughs> and um, he also met Exhibit at that thing, too. So Top was managing Exhibit and AWOL. So basically, AWOL brought him to the table for us. And, oh, amazing. All right. Yes. And then at Todd Rubenstein, who had gave us the press in, in the herb, was also lobbying to manage me. So you had eyes on you. People oh, yeah. Were, people yeah. were vying at for that, you. At that, at that one seminal huge thing where we blow, we, we did that first showcase as ATU, where we, signed, we, we sold tickets. You had to sell, like, tickets. Right. You know, my mom sold them to all our church friends. So oh, I had the amazing. loudest crowd there. Right. My sister brought her friends, and even the group YNV, who was my sister's friends, and one of the girls grew up from around the corner from us, they were they were there too. They already they have, they were starting to get signed in the industry. They were going to be signed by Paul Stewart mm-hmm. to PMP, Power Move Productions, right, his division. Right. The same thing that 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 Warren G was signed to. So, so um, and I wrote a song for them on their album. That was my first really? industry check. Yeah. So that was that was only in then like ninety four. Right. I was I was you know I was like probably seventeen like when that happened or eighteen, but anyway so. It's important to note that David Pensado, I had met him. So when Top first became our manager, I broke out this card like this guy loved us. And he seemed like a big wig. He called him and he's like, yeah, yeah, bring those guys down. We right. went and we were there and supposed to be getting signed to Caper, to RCA Caper. So, but they had the Afroplanes, Right. And what was happening was they were musing us to mm-hmm. them. Okay, all right. These fools, we came back, they had their hair twisted. We came back, they had they that Melrose version of the real thrift shop clothes <laughs> we were wearing. Right. And we were like, oh, no. And then one of them told us, he was like, yeah. He was like, oh, they was like, yeah, yo, that tape. Well, I know every lyric on that tape. Because I had a demo, a classic demo with songs like Whispers in the Dark, The New Era, uh, it was a combination of songs that other things in Eve's Nings. Ty Rubenstein had wrote about him in Herb too. He wrote about that demo too. Mm-hmm. He wrote about two different demos that I had. Yeah, because I'm not familiar at all with that second. Yeah, one. yeah. That stuff never saw that, a light that, of day. That, that stuff never saw a light of day. Partly because Dijak went through some things. He and separated he that song, those songs. Yeah, and he like threw all of his equipment off of. He went through some crazy life changes, wow. and for a while that stuff was lost. And we kind of, we got it back, but it was only ever on ADAT and then technology changed. And I don't know. I think somebody like Omid and ESP, they might have that stuff. I gotcha. Right. And I don't even have it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, one of those situations. Right? So anyways, um, Dave Pensado gave them copies of our demo. They had been musing on it and the lead was like, yeah, he was like, uh, I know every single lyric on that tape. And he's like, yeah, so we went back to Atlanta and it's these kids over there. And for the life of me, he hadn't been talking about Dungeon Family because he's like, it's these kids. And they be hooking up trying to do their little hip-hop thing and have their little, like, how y'all do, y'all, y'all, y'all right, thing, right? right? And he's like, when we went in there and we played your song, Whispers in the Dark, and he's like, and they went crazy. Wow. And, I, and my boy, I, if I'm lying, I'm flying. Fat Jack and my boy, Capital AK. Because Top loved Capital AK and was trying to sign him at the time. So we'd have him around us sometimes. Mm-hmm. Was sitting right there. 
And AK was like, what you want to do? Should we smash on? I'm like, he was like, oh, no, my nigga. Like, it was the, the coldest example of, like, some shit. Right. I couldn't believe it. And I realized they were never really. And, but but I, I can't say. And this is what happened. This is what happened. So I'm going to Santa Monica College at the time. I checked in about September 93. Just long enough to get my college ID. But wasn't there long enough to not drop out and get a rebate, get a <laughs> refund, right? Wow, okay. Because I'm in class, and I actually liked my English class because my teacher said, cool shit, like, you don't, do we have to just take notes? Are we going to be testing everything on, like, the notes? And he's like, I mean, you don't have to regurgitate my words as if they were golden. Or and I was like, wow, I like how you put that. I steal that. And I think I put that in the song, Double Dose. Right? <laughs> but, you know, I liked the English class. Right. I checked. I checked in too late. These were things I, I was dumb, you know. My mom, she had went through all this shit with my sister to get her. She was tired by the time I came around. Couldn't walk me through every little thing, you know. And and I didn't get. I got all the weak classes. I didn't know you had to sign up early. Oh, yeah, you feel yeah. me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I didn't get a student parking pass. I'm getting tickets every day. I got to run clear across a mile to for, to feed the meter and, and right. can't get to the next class. I checked into the music class. I had an old Betty White looking lady. <laughs> like, what the fuck is she gonna teach me? Uh-huh. I was. I only liked one class, Pete. Right. I swear. I was like, man, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. I chose the wrong school, or but I'm not a quitter, so I know I'm a finish. But man, this is gonna be hell. Yeah, it's rough. So I was strapping in for a hell of a first semester, right? <laughs> right. And just like right now, I'm getting bugged, right? I'm trying to do something. Pager going off. It's top. Top. His code used to be whatever his code was, eight like eight some eight dash nine one one nine one one. Wow. And he's, so he's calling again nine one one. And this is before cell phones, so I go to a payphone. I'm like, what? He's like, my nigga, Caper and them, Dave and them want to sign you and Sin for seven hundred thousand three fifty a piece. Wow. Incredible. And so I went right to the administration's office, dropped out, <laughs> waited, was on the at the mailbox every day so moms couldn't see the check come, uh-huh. got the check, never told her. So instead of wake up and go to school every day, I'd wake up and go to Fat Jack's house every day. And a lot of labbing went on, a lot of freestyling right to tape, a lot of us doing more songs. We just started experimenting more. I was smoking weed. And... um. Then what happened? They we did a big a big showcase. They brought in the big rig. Sylvia Ron, Skip Miller. I'm lying. I'm flying. Countess Vaughn, the girl used to be on Two Two Seven. She right. she came in like a star special guest and sang before the whole thing. She did a James Brown edition of when it, of it's a man's world. I it was like why y'all have her sing before all these amateurs? Like right, now we right. just feel like peas. Right. They're gonna sign her and none of us are gonna get signed. And guess what, girls. Were, and um, it was some girls who were also there that they were they were trying to just get their way into the building. They would later be known as Brownstone. Oh wow! Okay. Okay. And and we we killed. We brought sent Coco and Medusa with us. We both killed it. They was like, yeah, we want to sign up. Then when they came in, what they wanted was to make top. The head of the West Coast label, right? And so when he and he never really wanted to 
work for the industry like that. Like, he saw Adrian and Bilal and them like, see, I don't want to be on their tip like that. Right. I want to be in the in the private sector just managing and being like Damon Dash and being like that. Yeah, being right. like Herb Gotti, right? right. Not, not working for them like Andre Harrell, right? Right, right. And there's a big difference. It's too. a big difference. And so that wasn't his thing, but for the bread they was talking, he was going to entertain it. And ignorant as us, of course, when he brought it to the table, we were like, imagine... We gave him the card. He didn't even know about Dave before us. You feel me? And now you saying, you going to get a deal. And we were like, well, who's going to... Our first question was, who's going to sign us? Or what about us? He was like, I think I'm going to sign y'all. And we like, whoa, twist. Instead of seeing the power that that could have been, we were scared of that. Mm -hmm. And we made him feel a little bit like bad about that. Okay. So he went to them and was like, well, look, y'all got to tell me about this abstract shit first. And they're looking at him like, are you on crack? We're telling you we want you to be in the whole thing. Kind of it went away. Uh, now I'd already dropped out. Yeah. Did that? I'd already you dropped got, out. Did you get paid? And, and, and no, we, no, no. Nothing, nothing. That deal, that deal went away. That deal, Afro, now Afro, I got invited to an Afro playing video shoot. Okay. That if you go and dig up that video, they used a shot of me and me and Zulu. We came all all dolled up, you know, which was just another muse opportunity for them. I bet. Yeah. Um, but we but it, we got close, but then it went away because they looked at him like you ain't serious. Fuck all y'all. Oh man. Right? So that's why the fire was so lit and burning in me to make something happen because I had already dropped out of school. Right. I, yeah, I could go back, but it's like, now it's like, it's war. It's war right. of attrition now. So, you're literally talking like, then this Grand Royal shit happens before the end of that would have been that semester. So, I'm sitting there waiting for my 10000 or something, and Top hits them up around late now, because we know the industry going to shut down. And you ain't gonna be able to get at nobody. Oh, by the end of the year? Yeah, yeah. That, that end of the year thing. Of course. So then Natalie tells us, well, look, obviously, because by now I'm out on AC's record. I'm on AC's record now. Right? Yeah. Or, 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 or I'm, yeah. it's known that I'm on, these songs are in the tank about to come out sure. in 94. Right. And so they're like, well, look, he's on five or six songs right. on. On this record, right, right. Oh my bad. No, no, no. He, he's cool. on five or six songs on 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 a record that they already have. Right. So obviously we're gonna pick him up. Right. So they're like, just chill on the, you know, the little money. Right, right. Which was hard for me to hear because I'm like, yeah. they just basically did, got away with not paying me ten thousand. Wow. So it's so that a was a long Christmas, right. January. <laughs> I signed, they called me in on February, like the 3rd, 1995. And I came in and signed a short form, which was called a recording fund for $140,000. Okay. Of which 40 was supposed to be my advance, then the 100. So we quickly spent 35 for an in-house studio that became, really became the lab at that point, right. the 215 lab. Which to this day, Fat Jack still has possession of all that equipment that AKG 414 wow. we got. 
And we, I added stuff to it through the years, but I'm, I'm happy that he's, he has it. You yeah, know what I mean? He's he, maintained he earned it. it. Right. Um, and then Slip got like ten to DJ mix Slip. it. DJ Slip. And we went to Cherokee where he had his X Men Studios at, which that was dope because you'd have like MCA members of CMW right. there at different times, and the camaraderie was just building. And um, we, we mashed. We got like six to eight songs done quick, which was the bulk of it. Like torn, you know. Amazing. Last time we had like most of that shit done quick, and you had it all written and everything. It was just ready to be made. Like, are you actually not? But at that point, once we had that studio, once we had that gear at the house, we yeah. and and that's this was our job. Yeah, and I had the first. So we had our month. Fadjack got twenty five racks. My bad. As the as the producer, and he was the only, and so he got to be the king. That was his. That was Fat Jack's first producer deal. Like he was premier, yeah, of of ATU, right? Mm-hmm. He was premier of ATU, and that that's why, you know, for him, that was all he really ever wanted to do was be our producer, or like kind of be like premier, just have a really select choice few acts that you really get down with. Yeah, yeah, and. I'd say the biggest, you know, tragedy of all of that is that the way the industry ended up evolving, it was clear to him he wasn't going to be able to just do that. Right, sure. You know, so then you you saw him do Cater or whatever, and he's had different times where he's gone away, then come back. But that's just sort of how his personality is. All his friends who knew him before me said that's how he's been forever. So you, But you had him at a very particular time and uh, where you were all both like hyper productive and, and extremely creative because those both underground fossils and what would then turn into mood pieces are like you know it's it's uh this incredible work and then and then what would then also evolve into south central think tank too yes and see well, even though we had 10 years apart we own oh, it's important also you know Dave Pensado and, and Fat Jack, they actually, I mean, uh, DJAC and Fat Jack got work from Dave Pensado. They got to work with Chucky Book and like they got work oh, as wow. producers during all that time. Oh, dope. Okay. Yeah, they did some remixes and all kind of shit. Hmm. And I like, I recently remember his name just came back into my head and I looked him up and man, he ain't missed a beat. Really? Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like at some point, if we ever do our definitive story, somebody needs to go interview him, interview him too. Just yeah. like I was saying about Kim Bowie. And it was another guy too. When volume 10 signed me to the management contract at 16, signed my mom. <laughs> <laughs> now she actually signed this one. Right. Uh, maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I was more like 17, but she actually signed this one. And right. I told her like, you, you got to sign this one. Or you go like, Right. If you don't sign this one. We need to sign something. Right? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Kevin Weaver was his partner. Uh-huh. He was at A&R or like some low entry position at Atlantic. Okay, so another uh, major label comes in the mix. And, and, and as, as, just go ahead and look up Kevin Weaver. Right. And what he's doing in this day and age, and it's nothing short of winning Grammys and right. behind some of the biggest artists that are out there. So, and I bet you, if you looked up Todd Rubenstein, 
It's the same story. You'd you'd find you'd you'd be probably one of the biggest entertainment lawyers that there ever has been at this point. So it's funny, yeah. The, the yeah, abstract room tribe meets this this material. This time was a lot of these guys' entry point, like in early years, that they would go on to to really to, to really bloom. But it, the good part is that okay, and then it was a it was a journalist who oh his name eludes me right now, Dave something. He was a journalist. They used to write a lot about us. He 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 helped write some of the liner notes of the inside of the Project Blowed insert. Really? Yes. So whatever that he was from North Carolina. It's Dave Tompkins. Dave Tompkins. That's his name. Dave Tompkins. I ran into many years later after, and I'm gonna fast for a little bit after yeah, all fine. the Grand Royal shit was over, and I was already abstract real with at least paint or whatever out, or at least right. think tank out. He, the Beastie Boys came back with, with, you know, with their new shit that they had. Hello, right? Nasty or something like that, or even after that? Whatever it All was right. that they came back with. Okay. And he said he was, he was interviewing them, and there was a bunch of journalists, and he was trying to figure out how he could stand out. Right. And he's like, so whatever happened with you and Abstract Rude? <laughs> and yes. he said he fucking stopped everything and parted the sea and was like, who said that? Who was that? That's so dumb. And he pulled him to the side, and he was like, what do you what he's like how is he doing what do you know about him was really? he, did he land okay like he's like yeah he expressed real like concern and interest and, and like happy to know that he was like yeah he's doing these on the indie sort of tip doing his thing you know what i mean wow so i mean it's it's kind of you got b plus dave yeah. Tompkins. mike d you know dave pensado kevin weaver Kim Bowie, yeah, very right? influential people. Kim Bowie, uh, you know, Adrian Miller, you know, t- and Top and Tony Barton, uh, you know what I mean. Broadway is part of the journey, you know. You think about Madcap with Joe and how they were signed, Freestyle Fellowship, Farside, Farside Manor, right. you know, uh, uh, Jay Swift. He was, you know, uh, Fat Jazzy, Fat Nasties, and like it's it's yes, our our story has a lot of like influential people in it and even though me and Fat Jack had 10 years between us with me dropping out of school and that caper deal falling through and him basically he see he missed the CMW's boat he's from Slip's era right he's from sound control um and music people music people ran the sound systems uh, Slip's dad bought the business after they were about to go out of business when they were only still in high school. Wow, okay. So then they became, um, you know, they had white vans that they'd go around in. One of the white vans uh, is in the CMW videos. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so, so uh, they ran all the concerts that used to happen at the sports arena. And what was funny, when we first met the Beasties, Fat Jack reminded... Mike, that about a time where he was there and they came in doing all kinds of donuts in the parking lot. Sport. And Mike <laughs> knew exactly what he was talking about. Wow. So, yeah. And so, this is what happened. Fat Jack, basically, at around 21, he quit. He quit DJing. 
and was still kind of doing the music uh, delivery because CMW, they were off touring or whatever. Right. So his brother, Jack, his older brother, Jack's in the Navy. He's on tour in Germany. He sees CMW. He sees Slip, and he's like, where my brother at? Oh, this fool quit to like go get married and become a Republican <laughs> and all kind of shit. So when he got out the Navy, he's like, oh, hell no. Really? Yeah. Right. And he, he does, his older brother's the one that motivated him to get back on the horse right, and right, used right. his GI Bill right. to buy equipment and they became We Track Productions minus 24-7 started putting out ads that a young AC alone would reply to so this meeting me was finally the culmination because he was trying to get all these dudes signed uh, Novelist Mr. Too Bad they had Lyrical Multitude AOL One you know, his wife was one of the groups Massive was one of them they couldn't get none of these guys signed, right. right? And then he meets us, Ghetto Gods. We don't sign, but then through taking them to the good life, he eventually meets Volume 10. Because once Volume signed me, now him and Kevin are like, all right, who did these beats? These beats are pretty good. And I'm like, oh, well, Fat Jack did them. And so Volume's like, I want to meet him. So I took Volume over to his house. And that very night, Volume had him sampling some shit. Sampling like something weird like the end of a funk dubious record that was out at the time okay but i guess he was just trying to see where fat jack was at if fat jack cut up the beat for him made it tight fat jack would go on to have production on hip hopera oh really yeah. not only that he was he became the most integral producer mm-hmm. okay and it was another guy eric seraphin eric seraphin was it was a key engineer too he had done he had did passing me by Right. He had done, you know, the, the uh, uh, that group that was on, that instrumental group that was on Delicious Vinyl 2. Oh, Brand New Heavies. Brand New Heavies. He mixed that. And um, so now, he, and some other shit too. I think he had did, I think he had did, uh, I think he had did, uh, so whatever group Larnay was in, one of those, one of those mm-hmm. weird singing, singing in London type groups. He had did that. So anyway, so he was the engineer for, um, for hip hopper, and he taught Fat Jack a lot. Right. That experience actually taught him a lot, right? And then um, Grand Royal, when they ended up, uh, you know, when they ended up investing in Project Blow, Eric Serafin also was the one who mixed a bunch of shit on that. For he brought it up to quality, yeah. For it to then be mastered downstairs by Wally Trogmont. <laughs> Who just look at his the Beatles everything all the classic so yeah you know you you talking some like real names so so yeah, Fat J- so so Fat Jack's on his second boat and he's and he's got to make it happen he's right. at his mother in law's house you right, feel right, me right, right. Yep. and even though I'm ten years younger I'm out of school and I gotta make it I'm gonna I've been gone to college prep in magnet schools I. I'm not no dropout like fool. I gotta make something happen right, with this right, shit. Right. So me and him, we spent so much time together. Like mood pieces, okay, mood pieces just came so easy. That that actually was first. So it was, it was the demo stage of which fossils. Yeah, some of that stuff got made, but sure. fossils didn't get made. Fossils got made literally. So we made mood pieces and would would end up getting a release from Capitol by June of 96 
We only right. signed in February 3rd of 95 and released released by June of 96. Yeah, cuz those records wouldn't come out until 96 97. I know? I was in the I was in the white label stage. Right. They were white labeling different singles trying to figure out the white the right single. Yeah, cuz Torn, I think there was one for Torn. Torn, it was uh, I'm going to get you. Yeah. All kind of they couldn't figure it out, right? And um but we did have a video treatment that Spike Jones made for nice. oh, I'm going to get you. Did he get shot? It didn't get shot. Wow. So just add add that to the names. Right. Add that to the names. Because Gia did, he killed it on drop. So I was, I was like, I was excited to see what he was going to come up with. And the Beasties were going to make an appearance in it. You know? Wow. The plan was all there. I was right up to bat. And then they caught rain delay forever. Like the rain came and rained away, washed away the whole stadium is basically what happened. <laughs> yeah. But um, really... You know, me and Fat Jack though made mood pieces so easy, and that we that was like the height of us really touching the surface and getting into the guts of what we could do. Then, while we were working on Think Tank, I came home one day and he was like, "I made you a mixtape." Okay. And he played me fossils. Oh, he sequenced it out. He created a. Version it was a twenty-minute tape. Because right. you just could buy 20-minute tapes, 10 right. minutes aside. Right. So he was like, I worked it out to be a 10-minute tape. It was like 9 minutes and 50 seconds aside. Hmm. You know what I mean? And and so I, I, I made the tape up. I ended up getting the tape together. And then, so by now, we don't have the deal no more. That's right. We weren't working on Think Tank yet. I think we were in flux when he made yeah, that. We yeah. were just kind of in flux. And that was something I just did while in flux. And then AC meets the ocean floor people. Right. He meets the ocean floor people. And we start going. And he starts going up north to work in the studio with them. Yeah, because it was Kelly, a San Francisco uh, base label. Which, right. w- which would become Book of Human Language. Yes. And then he start, when he's up there... Word of him is out, and then so people start booking him for shows. So then he's bringing us. He's bringing me and Micah with them. But eventually, the Ocean Floor people meet me, too. And I'm selling them my tape. I'm like, yeah, buying my tape. And they're like, they listen to it, and they're like, it's pretty cool. They're like, why don't you make the cover better, master it, you know what I mean, and put it out as a record. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. Right. So that's how that came about. Interesting, okay. And then after that, we agreed to do Think Tank. Yeah, how about that? I want to thank Abstract Rude for his time and uh, being so generous in our conversation. I thought that was a good stopping point. Part two will be everything after that, including South Central Think Tank. So just the whole origin story of underground fossils and mood pieces is sets the stage for everything that came after that, including we talk in detail about the Making of Paint, incredible album and his time uh, doing Showtime and then everything else after that too so thank you guys so much for tuning in I appreciate it um, especially you know these are long conversations but they're very um, rich in context and story and a lot of these uh, episodes you know you don't get to hear these these individuals um, tell their story one in their words it's not um, taken uh in in quotes by a journalist or a writer in a short form story this is their the, the artist or the human beings perspective so we go long so 
you can uh, listen to it however you may. I appreciate it. Nonetheless, please subscribe and, and definitely share this amongst your friends and peers. Anyone that's a fan of Project Blow, the LA Underground, Afterlife, Good Life, and uh, of course, Abstract Tribe Unique. Thanks so much to Abrud for his time, and thank you guys so much. I'm going to end the show with Shogun, which was of that era between Mood Pieces and into South Central Think Tank. Incredible albums. I, I revisit all the time over the years uh, since they came out and uh, I strongly advise you guys to check those out if you've absolutely never listened to it before then do yourself a favor and uh, and peep it all out and thank you guys once again so much for tuning in to the house list and every episode edited engineered by CJ Stewart thanks guys I'll catch you next time